0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoicey.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We've been dealing with the relationship between the church and state. Um, yesterday, we were dealing with three ways in which the state sometimes oversteps its authority we had already talked about how sometimes they try to dictate to the church what they can or cannot teach or preach or how they um, positions they can, can can take or what they can't do um, and we do see that unfortunately in our society today we skipped over number two about um, the church or the state trying to unduly interfere with the church's obligation to worship um, that is something that is um, a whole can of worms today um, with COVID, and we're gonna address that more fully today. Um, But we left off about this idea of the state imposing its own ideas of membership, and I so rudely interrupted Phil to let him know that we were out of time. It is just Phil and I in the studio today. We are missing Jonathan and, and Josh. Hopefully we can be back together again soon. So unfortunately, Or fortunately, I I guess it depends on perspective. You just have Phil and I this morning. So Phil, you were talking about membership and how the state can sometimes unduly interfere. Yeah, but I do have to say first, before I talk
1: about that, um, that if Josh and Jonathan were here, they would just be interrupting me and and you, Russ. Oh, for sure, for sure. (laughs) So this is so so much better. Anyway, uh, Bannerman uh, said rightly, I think, uh, that the state uh, is overstepping its God-given role when it seeks to impose or, or impose its own ideas of uh, what constitutes church membership or, or who, who can be a member of the church and who is not. And let, let's first of all remember that Christians very often go astray when they read the Bible and they look at God's relationship with Old Testament Israel and uh, the relationship between being uh, a child of the covenant in the Old Testament, being, being a Hebrew person, a, a Jew who is uh, a part of the covenant people of God, and the relationship that they had to the state— and the, the, where Christians today sometimes go, go go astray is taking that idea of membership and the relationship of, of of the people of God to the state right out of Old Testament Israel and somehow apply that today. It, it does not. The United States— Just to
0: be clear, Phil and I both believe that in the Old Testament, Israel was the church. Yes, amen. Um, so I just want to be clear on that. What Phil is saying, which I also agree with, is that the difference is there was a connection in the Old Testament that's no longer true. In that Old Testament, Israel was also a theocracy. Yes. And that was attached to the same people, Israel. Israel the church, Israel as a theocracy. And that distinction no longer exists today. Yeah, absolutely. That we are not under a theocracy anymore. Um we as Christians find ourselves under a whole host of yes. different governments and different ways of governing. Yes. And so um and that's the aspect that changed. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the United States of America much as we uh, believe and trust that um God is at work in our country as God is at work all over the world. Um we, we do not believe that the United States of America is a um, a, a called, set-apart people who are in covenant relationship with God as Old Testament Israel was. Um, we are now, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the new and true Israel, and in him uh, we belong to God, and we have a different relationship to our government than Old Testament Israel had had with theirs.
0: And one of this those— This has never been said about us, that we're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That has not been said of— and that was what God said about Israel in the Old Testament in Exodus 19. That's never been said about the United States. Absolutely. But it has been restated— For the church. For the church. Yes. So just we just want to be clear on this because there is a lot of confusion.
1: Mm-hmm. Bannerman points out rightly, I think, that the church, or rather the state, oversteps its role when it attempts to dictate the membership of the church, that only the church can determine its membership. And you, you think about that for a moment, um, that's, that's so uh, central to the independence and identity of the church, uh, <laughs> that if the church can't determine its membership— if the church had to submit to the state in uh, determining, its, determining its membership, then that strips the church of authority and power that absolutely belongs only to the church, um, and it would completely lose its integrity if that is surrendered to the state.
0: And we, we- I know there are some of our listeners that are out there saying membership. I don't. What, what were you talking about? Um, mm. So Phil and I still come from traditions that believe in church membership be, because we believe it has a biblical foundation. Um, so throughout the the New Testament, you, in despite the fact that it's not explicitly stated, right, that you know, you need to join a local church. That statement's never there. Uh, the Bible never actually says. And God is a triune God either. So I believe in the Trinity even though it's not an explicit statement in the Bible. I also believe in biblical or the uh, church membership even though it's not an explicit statement in the New Testament. But I would suggest that it is implied and strongly implied and assumed dozens upon dozens of times. Yes, um, and so I know there are some people out there saying, well, unless it's explicitly stated, I'm not going to believe it. Well, then you're also, you don't believe in the Trinity. Um, so, I, I mean, that's that's your prerogative, I guess. Not to, but um, yes. I'm not sure I would take that hard and fast rule unless something's explicitly stated. It's not a part of my belief system.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I would also say that the Bible also doesn't prescribe how a man and woman get married. It, assume, it assumes marriage, mm-hmm. and it assumes covenant commitment between husband and wife, but it never spells out exactly how that's mm-hmm. to happen and how that works. And I, I like to compare—I compare, I, I compare uh, church membership and membership vows to marriage and marriage vows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, pe- you know, the, the secular world will say, "Well, you don't need a piece of paper." You don't need uh, this official. But within the church, we say, you know what? Promises and covenantal commitments matter.
0: And it's it's a mutual covening. That's right. You as an individual covenant with the church, the church right. is coveting with you. Right. Um, and I think sometimes people forget that. it It's a mutual. It is a mutual thing. And, and it, it's also
1: membership is a deliverance from consumer Christianity, uh, that I can, I can bounce from church to church, uh, and And an
0: individualism that's also not healthy. Absolutely.
1: An an individualism that is not, that is foreign to the new Testament. Uh, the, the, the the apostle Paul says there, there is, there are many members in one body and we are united together just like the parts of a parts of a human body. We are in- integrally related to one another. And the, and the New Testament simply assumes that. And there, there are, within different Christian traditions, different ways of living this out and exactly what membership means. But I'm still going to advocate for uh, membership vows and, and commitments um, that that, that are binding, that that bind us together.
0: And this is why it's so important that we don't give this away to some outside authority. That, yes. That, that it, internally we have to maintain the sense of that membership is something underneath the only the control of the church itself. Um, because at the end of the day, it's a spiritual commitment and it's a, it's a spiritual imagery of the relationship with Christ. I mean, Phil is talking about this idea of marriage. Well, the reason why we say it's like marriage is because the New Testament in Ephesians five says that our relationship between Jesus Christ and the and the church is is one of marriage. Absolutely. And so we we cannot give this away to the state to meddle in membership because it's it's a spiritual analogy and spiritual imagery that they have no right to to put. It, it would be like. Um, in a, in a marriage, if there's an, a third party that gets to dictate what happens within that marriage relationship, well, we would look at that and we'd say, well, that's really weird. Yeah, what why do they have a voice in that marriage? They're not part of it.
1: right. Well, and I, and I would say even churches, because perhaps there are listeners who uh, go to a church, uh, and this is very common with with many contemporary churches. Uh, perhaps you go to a church that doesn't have membership, doesn't have official membership. But I would be willing to, uh, well, I don't gamble, so I don't bet, but I I would be willing. You know, we can
0: just say, I'm
1: I'm sure Josh would be willing to bet. I'm sure Josh would be willing to bet on it. yeah. That even if your church doesn't have membership, uh, there are requirements and affirmations required for those who would be in leadership. If someone is being considered for a role in leadership or teaching in any church, they would be required to affirm the, the basic teachings of the church, the doctrinal statement of, of the church, and the, the, the method of church government that's used within church your church because there are different there are different options there and imagine the state having the authority to dictate what are the criteria by which someone could take a leadership position in your church you can see and, and Bannerman was quite right about this he was writing in the 19th century but it is still true today that for the state to impose itself in in that area would be to strip your church of uh, what it, what is reserved only to the church in the new testament and and would be to strip the church of its identity if the if the state can do that it can do anything within the life of the church
0: well in a non-church setting but kind of a, another layer out think about how this had played out with the boy scouts and yes. and really the, the the government coming in and saying, well, no, you can't restrict certain people from from being leaders. Well, think about that at the church level. I mean, if the st- state imposed that in an organization like the Boy Scouts, it's not too hard to imagine that the state is going to dictate. Um, and really, this is a membership issue: who who can serve in what capacity, right. and and whether the church can restrict those that are members or those who serve in a position. It's really the same concept. And that's what Banner, Bannerman's dealing with. Um, and we're saying he's correct. The state doesn't have a right to, to meddle there. Well, I had promised that we were going to get to the whole number two about the state imposing on whether they can gather for worship. I was just, i was a teaser so that you would come back again tomorrow. And I promise this time that we will cover it next time. We'll see you then.